And this morning we're looking at James chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through verse 15. Once again, excuse me, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O oh, gracious God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You for your word, we thank you that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that there is much here to glean. And we just would ask that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to understand your truth. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil, which will bring about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray now for your blessing upon your holy word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, James has begun his letter, if you recall, with that shocking charge in, in verse 2. And my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that's something that it's a shock to us. What can he possibly be talking about? How can we be experiencing joy when we're in the midst of suffering, trials, and, and affliction? Well, then James followed this up with the call that if we lack wisdom, well, then we should ask God, because only with the wisdom of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit will we be able to count it all joy when we face those various trials. And so we need the wisdom of God to understand how we can... Count it all joy when we face and fall into those trials. Well, in the last time we were in James, we considered how wisdom is also necessary in order to navigate through the trials of both poverty and, and wealth. Well, here in our passage this morning, we come to a different type of trial. The trial of temptation a trial which we all face each and every day. And as with other trials, we will need great wisdom from God in order to endure these temptations. We noted before that the word for trials and temptation in the New Testament is in fact the same Greek word. And so obviously the two terms are related, but we often think of them in different ways. Right? We think of trials as being, as, uh, as being those things which often come upon us from the outside. Maybe a sudden in illness, or uh, a tragedy, or economic troubles. Whereas temptations, we understand to be the inner struggles of the heart and mind. Those things that seek to lead us to do sin against God. Now Satan's design and purpose for both trials and temptations 
is to ultimately bring us to destruction. That's His goal, His plan, His purpose. God, however, has a very different plan and purpose. God, in His great sovereignty, allows us to endure both trials and temptations so that we might grow in our faith. So that we might be fashioned more and more into the perfect likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in our passage this morning, James turns our attention to the cause and the nature of temptation so that we can have the wisdom to not only endure these temptations, but to reach that very same end of Christ-likeness. I want you to listen carefully to how James begins, especially here in the first part of verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now the first thing we notice here is that temptation is a given. That is, James doesn't say, uh, let no one say if he is tempted. But he says, let no one say when he is tempted. You see, we will be tempted to sin. Just like we will endure various trials. And so each and every day, each of us finds ourselves faced with a variety of temptations. But it's important to understand that simply being faced with temptation, as well as being faced with a trial, that 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 isn't sinful. right? Sin comes in how we deal with that temptation. And so we look at Adam and Eve. right? They faced temptation in the Garden of Eden. But it wasn't the temptation that made them sinful. No, it was the response to that temptation that caused and led to their sin. Likewise, remember that Jesus Himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 4 uh, that Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are yet without sin. And so the fact that we're tempted isn't in and of itself sinful. We're going to be tempted. That's not sinful. But again, it's how we respond to that temptation which may or may not lead to sin. So that's the first thing that we note, is that we're going to be tempted. It's a given. The second thing that we want to note is that there's something that we cannot say about temptation. When we're being tempted, we can't say that God is the one who's tempting us. In other words, we can't say that God is the one who's seeking to destroy us. That He is the one who is the root cause of all of our problems, or that our sin is somehow God's fault. We can't say that. But the problem is, though we can't say this, often by our words or by our actions, we actually communicate that very thing. We might gripe and complain to God. God, why have you created me like this? Why have you given me passions and impulses and desires that are just difficult to control? Why can't it be easier? Why do things like money, wealth, power, sex, drugs, alcohol, and food, why do these all have to be so desirable? 
After all, this is the way I was born. This is how I've been wired. God made me this way. Don't we hear that all the time in our wicked world? More and more. Now with such complaints, notice how we just quietly can excuse ourselves and simply lay the blame at God's feet. But this is nothing new. In fact, again, back in the garden, Adam and Eve did the very same thing when God confronted them and uh, after they disobeyed God by eating the fruit of the, the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. I remember that Adam first blamed Eve and then Eve went on to blame the serpent. And God said, what have you done? But behind their blame shifting to one another was also the accusation against God. Adam responds to God's inquiry in Genesis 3 verse 12 saying, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam takes no responsibility for himself, but he accuses not only Eve, but he also ultimately is accusing God who gave Eve to be with him. In other words, since God created Eve, well, then it was God's fault. Now, Eve responds in a similar way, though it's not as direct. Eve responds, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Eve blames the serpent, the serpent who was Satan. But where did the serpent come from? God created the serpent on the sixth day. And where did Satan come from? It was created by God as an angel of light, likely somewhere between the first and the sixth day. And so in other words, again, God must be to blame. Because you see, if God didn't create Eve, and if God didn't create Satan, then there'd be no temptation. And if there was no temptation, well, guess what? There would be no sin. And so it's all God's fault. You see, that's the logical conclusion to Adam's complaint here. He's trying to pin the sin on God. Now this again is certainly what many people contend even today. Right? They try to say that God is the author of evil. That if He created everything and allows uh, bad things to happen, well then He must be the one who is responsible. Now sadly many Christians are going to deny the biblical doctrine of the sovereignty of God because they believe incorrectly that if God is truly sovereign, then He somehow uh, must be the author of evil. But such ones lack wisdom and an understanding of God's Word. They fail to see the balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Now, to be sure, there's a great deal of mystery about this, and and there's much that we don't understand, because we're finite creatures and God is infinite. But no matter how it works out, we cannot, in the end, say, when we're tempted, that God is behind it. That He is the one seeking our destruction and our downfall. Now we can't say this, Because as James goes on to point out, it violates the very character of God. 
Verse 13, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. God's character, His attributes are perfect and pure. Right? Remember uh, Isaiah's vision that He is a th- a threefold holy. Holy, holy, holy is God. Without spot, without blemish, and perfectly righteous. God is light, and in Him is no darkness, sin, or evil. He's most wise and perfect in truth, goodness, love, mercy, and kindness. He hates sin and evil with a perfect hatred. In fact, so perfectly holy is God that no sin or sinner can stand before His eyes. His judgment and His wrath and curse must fall on that sin or sinner. This is the very character of God that's revealed to us in the pages of the Scriptures. James basically says here that God is untemptable. He isn't susceptible to sin or evil. His passions, purposes, and desires are so pure and perfect that it's impossible for Him to even entertain sinful and evil thoughts. And because of this, He doesn't attempt, or He doesn't tempt anyone. Right? So God's plan and purpose is ultimately, we know, for our good and for His glory. It isn't an evil plan. It isn't a sinful plan. It isn't a harmful plan. It's a perfect and glorious plan that He works out in the world with wisdom, justice, grace, and mercy. We know this to be true because we know God's character to be true. And so therein lies the danger of accusing God of tempting us and blaming Him for evil. See, God can't be the author of evil because if He was, then by definition, He could not be the one true living God. And so consider this for a moment. If God was able to be tempted by evil or sin, well, how could we, how could we trust Him? Right? How could we rely on Him if it were possible for Him to be led astray? We couldn't. We confidently place our hope and trust in God for the very reason that He is perfectly pure in His character. See, if God were temptable, He could be swayed to sin. And if He could be swayed to sin, well then He wouldn't be God. At least not a God that we would want to trust in. The same is true if God tempted us and sought our destruction through those temptations. Right? If God tempted us, then He couldn't be trusted. I mean, how can you trust someone you know has it in for you and is seeking your destruction? You can't. Or it would be quite foolish to do so. It would also mean that God's love toward us would be a farce. It would be a deception and a lie. What hope do we have if God tempts us and deceives us? We have no hope at all. Such a God, again, is really no God at all. And so the moment that God is tempted or tempts us is the same moment that God ceases to be God. But friends, this will never happen. It's impossible. Because God can't violate His own 
character and His own nature. And so we're not without hope. We have a God who we can trust and believe in. We have a God who loves us and who cares for us and who seeks our good and His glory in all things. We know this because God has revealed Himself to us in His creation. He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. And of course, He's most re- perfectly revealed Himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ accomplished for us. That's how we know that God is the true God that He is. Now again, it's true that God in His sovereignty... And again, for His own plan and purpose that we don't always understand, that God does test our faith and allows us to be tempted. But as we've noted before, God's design and purpose for these things is different than Satan's. Satan tempts us and uses trials in our life to lead us away from God and to destroy us. But God allows these things so that we might grow in our faith. That we might rely more and more on His grace and His strength instead of our own. And so that we might be made perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this then leads to the root cause of temptation. You see, if it can't be God, then who or what is the cause of evil, sin, and temptation? Well, we know Satan, the devil is revealed in the Scriptures as the tempter, the deceiver, and the accuser. Satan is the father of lies, and in him all darkness certainly dwells. And it's true that Satan was an angel created by God, but instead desiring glory and honor for himself, he chose to rebel against God and took with him a third of the angels who are now his demons and his evil spirits. But God cast Satan out of heaven and threw him down to earth. And it's here that Satan sought to destroy all that God had created, including the pinnacle of God's creation, mankind. Taking the form of a serpent in Genesis 3, Satan set out to tempt Adam and Eve to sin. Now again, we have to step back and we have to remember that Adam and Eve were perfect in holiness as God had created them, as He had declared that the, uh, them to be very good. But they had a will that was free to choose. And so God had given them a law. And they were free, Adam and Eve were free to choose to obey that law or they could choose to disobey it. Now, of course, with no temptation... It was easy for them to choose obedience. But when Satan brought temptation into the world, well, suddenly their choice was brought into question. As they were tempted to doubt God's good plan and purpose for them. Remember how Satan had deceived them and, and uh, said that you know, God was basically hiding something from you. He, he uh, doesn't want you to be like Him. And he twisted and distorted the word of God. And then, of course, that cast doubt. And that doubt ultimately led to Adam and Eve sinning. They sinned, and with them, all their descendants who were born from them, even each and every one of us here today, has sinned because of Adam and Eve's sin. 
And so Satan is known as the tempter. In fact, Satan even tempted Jesus. Again, after Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days at the early, at the beginning of his ministry, Satan appeared to him and tempted him, uh, tempted Jesus to tempt God. He tempted Jesus to turn his back on God and to turn toward idolatry. He ter- tempted Jesus to avoid the cross. But Jesus being tempted in all ways that we are, yet he did not sin. He could not sin. But Satan would not give up. And Satan would, not, uh, would continue to seek opportunities to tempt Jesus. And there were a variety of these. And we think of uh, Peter, uh, after Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be put to death. And Peter says, No, it's not going to happen. What does he say? The same thing he said to Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That was a temptation. To avoid the cross. And then of course uh, we have a Judas and the, the betrayal. Again, all these things were temptations. Satan still trying to attack Jesus and to tempt Him. They were relentless. But even after Christ defeated Satan on the cross and then secured that victory when He rose again from the dead on the third day, Satan, although he has been defeated, he continues his relentless assault But now, he has turned his attention and focus onto God's people. And so that even today, Satan continues to tempt us. He prowls around like a hungry lion, seeking uh, someone to devour, as Peter describes in 1 Peter 5. Satan is a lethal adversary. And friends, we would do well uh, to guard against his temptations. But... When we sin, even though Satan has tempted us, we actually can't say to God, well, the devil made me do it. And this is perhaps the greatest cop-out and excuse people will use to explain away their sin. In fact, if you notice here, James says nothing about Satan. Now he will, in in, uh, chapter 4, he'll give this charge, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But here, where he's actually talking about temptation and the root cause of sin, he says nothing about the devil. Because the most Satan can do is tempt you. He can lay a snare, he can lay a trap. That's all he can do. He cannot force or compel you to sin. No, the devil can't make you do anything. So why do we often fall prey to temptation then? You see, because when Satan does present us with a temptation, he very often has a willing ally that causes us to sin. And that ally is ourselves and our own sin nature. James cuts to the chase here and says in verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So we can't blame God, and we can't even blame Satan. We can only blame ourselves when we fall, uh, when we allow temptation to gain a foothold, and we stumble into sin. We alone are responsible for our own sinfulness. In fact, 
we can't even blame it on Adam, on Adam and Eve. And though it's true we're born sinful because Adam, who re- represented the whole human race, sinned in the garden. The truth is, if we were there, if we were there in the garden, in his shoes, well, we wouldn't have done any better. And so Paul declares in Romans 5, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So in Adam, we've all sinned. He acted on our behalf in the covenant of works. We sin, friends, because we're sinners. Because that's our nature. And we alone bear the responsibility and the guilt of that sin. And as James tells us, this happens because we're drawn away and enticed by the desires or the lust in our own hearts. Now the imagery here that he's using is that of a, a baited hook, which a, a fish will find irresistible, right? not knowing or not caring about the hook that lies beneath the bait. Right? The fish is, is drawn to that bait and kind of by instinct just will clamp down on it And then suddenly finds itself being carried away out of the water. Well, that that sense of being carried away is the same imagery that that James is using here. We're, We're kind of hooked. And then we get carried away into sin. This is what the desire and lust of our heart does to us when faced with temptation. The word desire, lust, simply here uh, means simply a strong desire. But again, in a negative context like this, it implies impure passions and thoughts that flow from our hearts. And again, this even in those who are redeemed in Christ. We have sinful thoughts. We have lustful thoughts and impure passions. As Christians, we're truly new creations in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but we're not yet perfected. There remains in us a remnant of the sin nature. And it's this remnant that Christ calls us to daily put to death. To put off. And to put away so that we can put on Christ. This is our daily battle against sin. And friends, if we would let up in this battle, even slightly, well then we open the door for temptation to then gain a foothold. And once temptation gets a foot in the door, that remnant of the sin nature becomes stirred up within us. And it begins to attack us from within. Giving us uh, more stronger desire, giving us doubts. And uh, fooling us. Calling us to look for a, a moment of pleasure. That would be sinful. And so that remnant of the sin nature gets stirred up. And then we find ourselves in that same struggle and battle that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 7. Romans 7 verse 19, Paul says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Right? This is the, the struggle back and forth. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it. Then in verse 23, Paul goes on to say, But I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. And there are the members in the flesh. He's talking about his, that remnant of the sin nature. 
Right? It gets stirred up and it's, and it's warring against our mind. or What we know to be true, we know that we ought not to sin. We know that the destruction that sin will bring. And yet these desires within us battle back and forth. And then ultimately, often, unfortunately, sadly, we, we give in to the temptation. And so we see here that we are truly responsible then for our own sin. And this is why we need to seek the wisdom God gives, so that we might be able to discern our own hearts. To know and understand our nature and the sinful desires of our own hearts. And as we discern them, we can seek the grace and strength of God to daily put those sinful lusts and desires to death. And as we do that in the grace of God, we free the grip that they have in our lives, thus enabling us to overcome temptation when we're faced with it. But if we don't seek this wisdom from God, and if we fail to engage in that daily battle against that remnant of sin in us, then when we're faced with temptation, great danger looms. And this is what we find in verse 15. Then when sin has conceived, it gives birth to, or when a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full blown, brings forth death. And James here uses the imagery of pregnancy and birth to describe the progression and development of temptation. Now there are two different births to take into uh, that are taking place here. First, desire or lust conceives and gives birth to her daughter sin. Now what James is saying here is that when we're faced with temptation, it's fertile ground for lust to grow and develop into actual sinful deeds and actions. But we have to understand that James is just emphasizing here the full maturation of lustful thoughts into deeds. Right? We shouldn't take from this that we can then excuse the sinfulness of our thoughts and our desires as if they don't account for any offense on their own. They certainly do. They're still sinful. And Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 5 when He says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And earlier, before that, He said that the one who hates has committed murder in his heart. And so sinful thoughts and desires are sinful. Now certainly there are greater consequences though for actions than there are for thoughts and desires. But, never lose sight of the fact that both lusts and desire and thoughts and actions, both are sinful and both make us guilty before God. And so Jesus uses this graphic language in Matthew 5 at the end of this to again emphasize how we must remove from us that remnant of the sin nature. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, well, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So if your, your eye causes you, if you're, if you're lusting, you, get rid of that thought. It's still sinful. Get rid of it. Because if you don't, well then your whole body will fall into sin by your actions and face the judgment. 
So the sinful lusts and desires of the heart must be put to death in us as we strive and rely on the grace of God engaging in that battle. But if they're not put to death and the lusts mature into sin, there's then a second birth. But this second birth isn't unto life, but sin gives birth and brings forth death. Paul declares in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Death is that life-consuming enemy, and it is born from our sin. It's important to understand that even before Adam and Eve were tempted, God makes this all very plain to them. In Genesis 2, He said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God warned that sin would bring forth death. And this it certainly did do. Not only would Adam and Eve and everyone after them suffer death at the end of their lives, but immediately they became spiritually dead in God's sight. Separated from God. So that we who are born of Adam are from birth dead in our sins and our transgressions. And if there's no further intervention in our lives... That spiritual deadness will become condemnation to eternal death in the flames of hell. A death that we certainly deserve because of our sin against God. A death that we have earned because of the lusts and the desires of our sinful hearts were not kept in check and we weren't prepared to take a stand against temptation. But beloved of God, there's hope. There's hope for those who are condemned to this eternal, fiery death. There's hope for the sinner. There's hope for the one who struggles with lustful thoughts and desires. There's hope for the one who daily faces temptation of his or her own devising as well as the temptations and snares of the devil. Beloved of God, there's hope for you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's true. You can't blame God. And you can't blame Satan. You have only yourselves to blame for your own sinfulness. And yet the glorious good news of the gospel is that though you're guilty, Christ Jesus died for you. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, God's own beloved Son, endured the punishment of the eternal wrath and curse of God that only you deserve so that you might have life in Him. And through His once for all perfect sacrifice on the cross, you have forgiveness of sins and you have peace and reconciliation with God. The Apostle John reminds us, of the promise of God in 1 John 1, nine that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This forgiveness is available to you. Even now, if you confess your sin to God and believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. And brothers and sisters, there is even more good news. As you battle and struggle against sin and temptation each and every day in your lives, 
Remember another great promise that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Actually, there are two things here. First, no temptation you face is unique to you. And you can be comforted then to know that there are others who face that very same uh, temptation which you face and that you struggle with. And you know what? They've done battle against that temptation and they've even overcome it. Even Jesus Christ. The Scriptures say that Jesus was tempted and tried in all ways that we are yet without sin. He overcame those temptations. And because of this, we now have a high priest who can truly sympathize with us in our weakness and during those times of battle. Remember that when you're faced with those temptations. But secondly, you have here also the promise that you won't be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. Now certainly, if you, if you trust in your own strength, it will be too much for you to bear. And you will be crushed by that temptation. But the promise here is that you'll be able to endure because God will always provide the way out. He will provide the escape. And friends, He has provided that way of escape. For the way out of temptation is trusting and relying on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And again, you need wisdom, especially in the heat of the moment, to see this weight out and to cling to Christ. Right? It's hard when we're in that, in that heat of the moment, when we're faced with the temptation, we often can't see anything else but that sin before us. It's then that we need to look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, and cling to Him and cling to that way out that He has provided so that we might overcome temptation. So that you might put your sinful lusts and desires to death. That you might keep yourselves from sin. And that you might, by the grace of God, be spared from the eternal flames of hell that your sin deserves. And that you might instead stand in the glorious presence of God where there's fullness of joy forever and ever. Friends, believe on Jesus Christ. And I assure you, you will not be disappointed. Not now, in this life, not when you're engaged in that battle each and every day, nor forever to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, gracious God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You for the great truth of Your Word and the comfort that it, we find here of course, the challenge and the reality of our own sin nature that we face temptation each and every day and the call to daily do battle against that remnant of the flesh in us to always put our sin to death, to put on Christ. But that even when we are faced with temptation, You have provided a way out. You have provided an escape. And it gets difficult, Lord. 
And each and every one of us fails. We get so focused on that sin and the desire becomes so strong that we fail to look up and look to Christ and cling to Him and the way out He's provided. But Father, we pray that as we grow in faith and as we grow in understanding, that we would seek Your wisdom, that we would be uh, much quicker to, to look for Him and to cling to Him and to rest in Him, that we might overcome the temptations that are set before us. And we praise You and thank You for what Jesus has accomplished for us. That He came in the likeness of, of flesh, that He came to dwell in our midst, that to identify with us in our sin and our misery, that He was truly tempted in all ways that we are, yet He never sinned. But now He understands when we're tempted. And He offers that comfort for us. And we praise You and thank You for that. But He also provided that way out when He gave Himself as the once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. He paid the penalty for us that we deserved. And though Satan thought he secured that victory, we know that when Jesus rose in power and might and glory on the third day, that Satan truly was defeated. And that our salvation was secured. And the forgiveness which He uh, paid, the debts that He paid for our sin on the cross are now because our Redeemer lives and His Spirit dwells in us, that we have that forgiveness communicated to us by the power of Your Spirit. And that all we need to do is to confess our sin before You. And that You will be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sin. That we might stand continually in Your presence. Father, You have done so great much for us through Christ Jesus. And we give praise and glory to Your name for all these things. And we pray that You would help us to be the faithful proclaimers of this Gospel as we live in this fallen and sinful world around us that continues even more and more rebelling against You and Your Word. May we offer this Gospel hope to those who are dying in their sins. And that You would redeem their hearts through our witness. We pray that in the midst of it all, Your name would be lifted up and glorified. So we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.